Hello, you're listening to the Mr. Money Jar podcast. Mr. Money Jar here. This episode is taken from an Instagram live and has been uploaded in its entirety. This means that some of what you hear may seem odd in an audio format. For example, there might be references to questions that appeared during the live, plus some audience interaction, and very rarely some swearing or audio mishaps. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Hello all, welcome to episode 51 of the Mr. Money Jar Show. Today we're going to be joined by Laura Weston, the founder of Savvy Peacocks and finance coach, and we're going to be speaking about how to talk to kids about money. And whenever uh, I speak to someone about this subject, to someone who doesn't have children myself, I do like to um, take notes and pay attention because um, I think the world is very fast changing at the moment and some of the things that we were taught as children may not necessarily apply for people who are having kids now or may have children in the future. So looking forward to a very productive conversation with Laura today. It's great to see so many people joining. As always, I hope you're all well. Hello, hello, hello. Good to see you all. I'm feeling a bit worse for wear. Um, I must confess, I went out a bit earlier and got absolutely peppered by uh, hailstones. So feeling a bit, <laughs> a bit tender, but um, yeah, inside now, away from the rain. Let me see if I can get Laura, Laura in. As always, if you have any questions for Laura, um, do pop them in the chat and we'll try and get to them. Um, she's very knowledgeable. I'm sure we're all going to learn a lot today. Sent her an invite, so uh, hopefully she joins soon. Hi, Timmy. I'm so sorry. Do you know what I'm doing? No. So what I was doing, I was using the clock downstairs. <laughs> oh right, what what time is what time zone is that set to? That, no, that says six twenty. I was thinking, great, I've got ten minutes. The dinner's oh, on. Right. The kids are sorted. <laughs> no worries. I was about I was about to start singing. It's oh, good you joined. You can. You can. <laughs> uh, no, thank you so much for joining. And um, yeah, I was just saying that you know when. Um, when I speak to people about this subject, particularly people with expertise like yours, I do like to pay attention because um, I don't have any children and, you know, the world is very, very fast moving and um, it'd be really interesting to get your take on how we should be speaking to children, particularly in a world that is increasingly online and cashless. But before we get into that, do introduce yourself to everyone at home. So my name's Laura. I'm founder of a financial coaching business called Savvy Peacocks, which you can see behind me here. Um, awesome. And I educate families around how to be more financially literate so that they can then pass that down to the future generations. But it's interesting you say that you don't have children because I predominantly work with the parents, but actually I think we've got responsibilities as aunties and uncles and our friends have got children. So 
you know, it's just as much our responsibility as it is their actual parents. So, yeah. Very true, very true. And oh, uh, if you don't mind me. Join us from Clubhouse, which is lovely. Hi, Justice. <laughs> oh, wicked. Great to see you, Justice. Also, um, my friend Vivek, when I yes. announced... Um, that you'd be coming on. He sent me a DM, he was like, oh, I know Laura. Did you guys meet yeah. in the clubhouse as well? <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit of a clubhouse addict, so <laughs> a lot okay, of wicked. know me from there as well. Wicked. Uh, great to see Finance Sisters in the chat as well. How are you doing, Mary Eve and uh, Victoria? They were last week's guest, fantastic. Um, Excellent. Week, week, week before last guest, fantastic show from them. Great, and if you don't mind me asking as well, where did the, um, Savvy Peacocks, where did the name come from? Oh, goodness. Everyone always asks me this. So um, obviously there's lots of financial connotations with the word savvy. So I knew I wanted to use that. And I was sure. trying to work out how to draw that all together. And then all of a sudden, I was emptying the dishwasher one day and I couldn't get this peacock out of my head. Literally couldn't get right. it out of my head for days. And I was thinking, how am I going to marry this all together and I, I, I love the meaning of a peacock and how it's about abundance and loyalty and nobility and all those amazing things so I thought well do you know what we've got moon pig we've got wise hippo why not have savvy peacocks I love it I love the amount of thought that went into it that's all that's awesome because when I was doing when I was choosing my brand name as well like a lot of thought it doesn't seem like it when you get to the end of the process but a lot of yeah. thought did into it as well awesome so um Let's start from the very beginning then. Do you have any kids of your own? Um, like what kind of inspired you to speak about this topic today? Yeah, so I do have three children, but yep. I wouldn't say that's necessarily what's inspired me. Um, okay. So my children are fairly young, but my, my history has been working in banking, in retail banking. So I worked for a, a high street bank for the last 20 years. And yes. all the time we'd see parents coming in, trying to teach their children about money and the different options available to them, but were kind of blind, really. They were teaching them the basics, but not really what I call the true meaning of money and where the magic really happens. So that's kind of how it came about. Um, but to be quite honest, I do that as my, my bread and butter, but there's so much other stuff going on within Savvy Peacocks that it was just like, okay, well, I know I can do that with my eyes closed. I know how important it is. Obviously, um, we all know that money isn't talked about in schools as a yep. general part of the curriculum. So it just all kind of fell into place like that, really. Um, and let's unpack what you just said. So what is the true meaning of money and how should people be talking about it? Yeah, I think... Um, what often gets missed is we talk to our children about um, going out and making money and having a bank account and how to use that and maybe some of the basics of how to spend it. But we don't often talk about what you can do with that money once you've got it and how many yes. doors it will open and what options it gives you and how any money you have now in your younger years is actually really useful if you can put towards your later years and that's the bit that's missing, I think, as well as, you know, working towards a goal and teaching children from an early age that money is a good thing and this is how you can use it to your advantage because otherwise lots of anxiety can become, they may well be start getting scared around getting into debt when they turn into their teens and they get sort of credit card offers thrown at them left, right and centre. So if you don't have those conversations early on, then 
that's that's really a big issue when they turn 18 and I saw it firsthand I was lucky I joined a high street bank and I got my financial education that way my friends that sure. went to university that hadn't had the conversation just ended up in tons of debt and probably are still paying the price now to be quite honest so yeah yeah some really good points made. um I think uh, I completely agree with you when you say that you know of all the different uses of money um, we're largely taught how to be consumers. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You do, in society, have to buy things. You need to trade your money for goods and services. But if that is all you do, then you won't have any savings, any investments. You'll be fearful of debt. You know, you'll maybe not know how to use it, responsibility. And there are real-world uh, real consequences for that. So it's great that, um, yeah, you're passionate about broadening out that conversation. I also, something I also think is, everyone gets a financial education. So if you don't get one, you know, by joining a bank like you did or by reading books, then it's going to be companies and advertisers who, who educate you on how to spend yeah. your money. They're overwhelmingly going to try to convince you to spend it. Yeah, and that's where the danger happens, isn't it? Because if you don't get the right financial education, then you can, first of all, you can learn what's going on in your home and that might not necessarily be the right mindset towards money. So there might be that scarcity approach or maybe um, your parents are in debt. And so you're learning that that's the norm or you, as you say, you get your education through everything being thrown at you and making you think that it's completely normal to wrap up credit card debt when you're at university and all those things, which doesn't have to be. Yes. Um, money advice service in Cambridge university. Uh, I want to say 2015, but don't quote me on, on the year did a study where they found that your adult money habits are bedded in as early as seven years old. I remember that being a huge surprise to me. How early do you advocate people speaking to kids about money? Four. Four. <laughs> I, I think, you know, age four or five, they're just starting school. You can teach them through the things you're doing within the home. It doesn't have to be a big deal and a big conversation. Just as you're going through your everyday life, talking to them about what's going on, how things have come about, what you're working towards as a family, so that they're aware and involved. And if they want to be, they can even contribute to that. Because as you say, from age seven, they've already decided their attitude towards money. And actually by age nine, that's it set for adulthood. So you've only got a really short window to make sure that they have a positive attitude towards money, a positive relationship with money. Um, and then you can go into the education piece of more in depth. Yeah. Let's speak in some practical terms then. So you've got your four-year-old. Yeah. Um, they're just starting to learn about the value of things and that possibly that you have to buy stuff and that um, that is how the world works. So what things practically could one be saying to this four-year-old who's still developing and still grasping money? Yeah, I think there's a few things. First of all, conscious parenting. So being really particular about what you're saying. So when a child asks for something, if you say, oh, no, we can't afford that, then think very carefully before you say it, because what message are you giving them? Just pause there on my back. Yes, I'm back. Um, you know, uh -huh. are you inadvertently telling them that you're poor um, or that you don't have any money? 
and being quite careful about the words you're using. And then from there, getting them involved within the family when you are spending money. So if you are working towards something as a family, maybe you've got a particular goal in mind, involving them in that conversation. Um, and then in your everyday life, when you're doing the food shopping and you're going and paying, explaining to them that this isn't just a plastic card with a never-ending amount of money and where yes. it comes from and how it works. Um, one of the advantages that kids growing up in um, you know, previous decades would have had, though, is maybe more of an emphasis on physical cash compared to yeah. online transactions, um, tapping your phone, tapping a bank card. Are there any adaptations that you think we could be using as adults to accommodate for this shift? Because it's looking like the more time that goes on, the less we're going to be trading pieces of paper and pieces of metal for things, and the more it's going to go towards cashless and digital transactions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, we've known that we would eventually be cashless, but probably in another 20 years. But I think now with the pandemic, it's going to heighten even further and it's going to be even more so because there's so many places that aren't taking cash now. So I think if you can explain to them, as I say, what you're doing when you're using that card and educate them with their own money around that. So getting them set up with a bank account, talking to them about the different places in which they can hold their money for the short term, the medium term and the long term and how they can access those so that they're automatically getting used to that digital way of, of banking and using their money you know from a young age they can have a, a, a card themselves um and use that and understand how it works i think it's it's really important because it, it there's a high possibility that your children won't see money i i mean my children are um three four and six and yeah. they, they see very little money because i, I don't use cash ever so the only coins they ever get to see is if granny gives them a few. <laughs> they're like, what's yeah. this? How does this work? Because they're not used to it. So yeah. I do have to use those moments of when I am using my phone and my watch to educate them so that they know that it's not just an endless stream of money. Yeah, completely agreed. And for the people who are listening at home, if there are thoughts that you have on how to speak to um, kids about money, things that you do, you may do yourself, things that you've seen other people do, do drop them in the comments and we can move them into the conversation. So Laura, in terms of the structure of our chat, why don't we move forward in age then? So you've kind of got four-year-olds, they're quite young, they're toddlers still. Yeah. How should we be speaking to kids that are uh, more of a school age? So like 10, 11-year-olds? Yeah, I think this is a quite a pivotal time actually, along with those older ones, but at that age, you know, they're just starting secondary school. They're going to need access to some money on their own. They're going to have to have that responsibility because potentially they're going to need lunch money, things like that. So it's then a golden opportunity to loosen the purse strings a little bit with them, allow them to explore and have a go with cash themselves, which a lot of parents find quite awkward they're quite scared and worried but at the end of the day they can't get into debt they can only take the money that you give them access to so you do have to kind of go through that process and allow them to experiment themselves and if they choose to spend their lunch money on something else then that's a hard lesson for them to learn but um yeah as well as that I think so, sorry, Laura, but um, when I was at school, there were some people who did the inverse of that. So there were people who would save up their lunch money 
they'd buy yum yums and Greg's for 50p <laughs> and go to school and sell them for a quid. So if you, you know, have a mini kind of business tycoon as yeah. well, that's, you know, that's there. To be honest, I can see that happening because I think we will have more and more entrepreneurs coming through, especially with the way the world is now. There's, there's even greater reason to be an entrepreneur these days, isn't there? Yeah. But sorry, you were, you were continuing on the point. I was just going to say, at that age, you can even go into a little bit more in-depth in depth with children and talk to them about investing money. I certainly do that with my niece. She's that age. Rather than me buying presents for her, I invest money for her. And we sit and look at that together on an app. And we review it every six months so she can see what's going on. So it's an education in the power of money, the power of compound interest, and how that can work in your advantage. And... Yes, I'll buy her a little something on her birthday, but mainly I will use it for for investments. So this is a bit of a specific question, but um, whilst we're still speaking about kids that are kind of 10, 10 years old and, and under, how should one approach the giving of pocket money? Because you talk about giving another. I love that, by the way, this idea that you give them money and you're almost like a driving instructor. Like you're in the driving instructor seat. You've got access to the brakes, so they yeah. can't like crash the car. But you you still have oversight over them. So I yeah. do quite like that approach. But something like an allowance of pocket money. Should we be giving um, kids pocket money just as a given, or should it be like if you do this job around the house and you get pocket money because that also develops a kind of a different relationship with money for a child I think. Yeah I, um, I've got a bit of a different approach to this and I did talk about this in my podcast recently because I think it's one of those things that you need to find what suits you and your family and what you're comfortable with. In my opinion I think that children should have a part in the family and contribute to the running of the family regardless of any allowance or pocket money that they get. Yes. But I also appreciate that children need to have access to money. So you could take a few approaches. You could give them like a basic pocket money so that they do have access to some money but encourage them to make money themselves by doing those extra things that are needed in the house so not the making of the bed and doing the dishwasher that stuff is a given it needs to happen but instead of me going down the road and paying somebody to wash my car do you want to go out there and wash my car and i'll give you eight pounds or whatever yeah. so encouraging them to find ways to earn their own money within the family or within the local community even i think that's you know a great idea and then once you've got them into the habit of earning money it's okay where are you going to put that what are we going to do with it um, and something that I like to talk about is encouraging children to put some of their money away into the long-term pot. So something for when they are 18, you know, do you want to go off traveling? Do you want to buy a car at that age? Okay, we're going to put a third of that, 20%, whatever is comfortable into that pot. So it's tucked away for the future. And for me, that gives two advantages. It helps them working towards their future, but also it gets them used to the fact that when you earn money, you don't get all of that money. You know, when sure. we earn money, we do have to pay taxes. We do have national insurance. And so you're, you're automatically teaching them that you may well earn 60 pounds. That doesn't mean you're going to get 60 pounds in your pocket now to spend now. True. Um, yeah. So you have a, forgive the um, comparison, but we almost have like a, a base allowance and then uh, kind of yeah. uh, additional bits that they can that they can earn. 
And I do think that lesson about the fact that money is deducted um, is also very important because certainly the very first paycheck I got, I was like, what? <laughs> like a third yeah. of the money. <laughs> I've worked Where's... out this much and it's actually this much. Yeah, that's a third of my money gone. Um, yeah, and that, you know, that's, a, that's a part of life. So yeah, learning that early on is very important. If we move on forward through time, then to your teenage yeah. ages, this is I'm really gonna, I'm going to walk with you, Timmy, because my battery's going, but it's okay. okay. I'm still here. <laughs> I'm just no upstairs and plug you in. Um, so if we move forward in time to teenage ages, um, we're, we're getting into a point in children's lives when they become a bit more um, individualistic, say, and, yes. uh, you know, they begin to care more about what their, their friends might think and, um, perhaps even the amounts of money they want to spend might want to increase as well as their, their wants change. So how do you then adapt again for teenagers? Yeah, definitely. And also with the teenage years, I think it's quite a pivotal time where you are much more aware of what you want to spend your money on. You want the latest, you know, whatever trainers or whatever the latest trend is. So I still think it's coming back to that point of the early education around, okay, I can spend some of my money now. I can put some of it towards saving up for maybe a bigger something I want. And I can then put some in for the longer term as well so that they're used to segmenting their money that way. Um, and on top of that, I think for teenagers, it's particularly important to talk about the big wide world. I think it's really quite scary that, you know, you turn 18 and all of a sudden you get a credit score and credit cards are thrown at you left, right and centre. So if you know about these things from age 14, 15, it's no big surprise. And actually around that time, you're probably going to get a part time job anyway. So it's even more important because you're going to have more access to money. And so if you're getting into the frame of mind of, OK, well, I'm going to tuck some of my money away to save up for something bigger, maybe, then you're you're automatically teaching them that, you can have need to save for them over time rather than just whacking it on a credit card. And so you're teaching them how to build up savings and work towards certain goals. I, yeah. I think that's particularly important. And, and I will say it, it, particularly in young girls, I've been there. <laughs> you know, we do want to spend the money on the latest clothes or go out and have fun with our friends. And um, for me, it's particularly important for young girls. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly when I got to my teenage ages as well, that's when I saw a big spike in my wants, but yeah. also the amount of money I wanted to spend. Um, and I, yeah, I certainly wouldn't spend half as much on clothes now as I did um, <laughs> back then. Yeah. <laughs> There's if, that peer uh, pressure as well. There's that yeah. whole, like wanting the to keep up with your friends, even if, the, you know, you might not even want the latest thing, but you've got to have it because everybody's yeah. got it. Yeah. Um, I remember like own clothes days at school, you know, it was actually, it would kind of sh strike terror into the hearts of people. Cause like you can't go in with scruffy shoes or scruffy clothing or people yeah. tease you. Um, we've actually had a, a question. How do you suggest people handle potentially scary topics like debt or money insecurity? I think it's, I think it's important. Do, do you mean like, um, educating them not to get into debt or if you wanted to talk to them about your situation around debt I think there's sort of two things really uh, my interpretation of the question is 
it's maybe well and good to educate your kids about how to spend, how to save, this yeah. and the other. How do you talk to them about the realities of adverse situations as well? Yeah, I think, you know, this is an interesting topic because I think a lot of people are scared of debt and scared of their children getting into debt. But I actually think it's our responsibility to teach them that we need to use credit to advance in our lives, but we need to use it in the right way. So how, you know, how a what a credit card is actually designed for, it's designed to build up your credit score so that you can build up loyalty points so that you can borrow some money temporarily and make a plan to pay it back um, and that's the bit that's missing I think in my opinion because you get to that age and you've got I mean mobile phone contracts is another one isn't it you're allowed to get a mobile phone contract at that age so unless you've had that piece around actually it's good to get a mobile phone contract but be aware that you need to be able to afford to pay that back every month and this is the amount it is every month and it's not just that amount it's also the phone insurance and and everything else that goes with it so it's educating them how to use those facilities correctly and i would almost say promote them using those facilities correctly rather than no don't use credit cards they're really bad you don't want to get into a lot of debt because Very true. you know if they don't use those things they're, they're going to struggle to get a mortgage they're going to struggle to build their credit score so and they need those things and also, you don't want them to be scared of using those things in the future. Yeah, you want them to be prepared for when those offers come, you know, because yeah. it's, it's, it's right there when you apply for a bank account. Yeah. How much of an overdraft do you want? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, how much of a, how much credit card limit do you want? And um, I also, like you said about saving, you know, if you, if you get bed in these good habits early, then by the time they have access to, say, buy now, pay later, or any of these other forms of debt, they will already have the habits of how to save towards a goal, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's it, credit's a funny one because a lot of people have a bad relationship or maybe they've got a story to tell in the past. And this is our opportunity to change those stories for our future generations so that they use credit in the right way and and we don't end up in this cycle of, you know really bad debts in this country it's it's really quite astronomical the amount of debt that's around but yeah. um, I, I actually think it's it's a great opportunity for us to be able to educate our future generations around credit is okay as long as you use it in the right way we've had another question laura it's from la teresita and it's curious to know what your thoughts on telling the kids um right, curious to know your thoughts on telling the kids about their junior ISA without them taking the biscuit, <laughs> even though they would have been raised well and humbly. So very interesting question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, it, it, this, obviously there's two schools of, you know, there's two schools of thought, isn't there? You either tell them and risk the fact that they're gonna go there the minute they're 18 and spend it yeah. all, or you don't tell them, but then you're not using it as an education tool. Um, for me, I think it's worth the risk to tell them and use it as an education tool, encourage them to be putting money away into that place. And, you know, so that they're, you know, you're not the only one that's contributing to that and that they're also contributing to their financial future as well. But it, it's, it, there is a, a, a massive leap of trust there. I, I get that. But I think it's something that you've got to do because the, the negative effects of not telling them 
is far greater. You know, if you're telling them, you know, if you hide it from them and then they turn 18 and they know about it, you've basically just told them, well, I didn't trust you to tell you up until this point. Yeah, I, I also think I'm just assuming, um, just making an assumption here that there might be some parents, guardians who may have a reticence to let their child know that there's this lump sum waiting for them. Yeah. You know, and human nature being what it is, if you know that there's an amount coming to you when you reach 18, mm -hmm. that will affect your your actions, you know, up until that point. So some people might might withhold the information for that reason. Well, maybe you could say to them, I'll match what you put in there. So it's a joint yeah. effort. You know, yeah. if you're going to go out and earn some money and you're going to put 20% into that long-term pot, then I'll match what you put in there. So it's not just a given. Yeah. They're going to get a lump sum, but you're working together yeah. to, to achieve um, something for their future, which, they, you know, let's face it, they need regardless, whether that's mm -hmm. you providing it to them or them getting into debt. They're going to need a car around that age. They're going to want to go off to university. They might want to go traveling. You know, it, it's far better for them to be able to have those options available to them than to want to do it and end up in debt doing it. What, what I am loving about this conversation, Laura, is that actually we're kind of just creating Fisher-Price versions of what happened to you when you're an adult anyway, because that's how pensions work, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like yeah. you put in a bit, the government puts in a bit, your company, if you work for yeah. one, puts in a bit, and then you know you're going to get an amount down the line, but you're incentivized to put in because you'll know you're getting contributions. And yeah. then thinking back to the, you know, the base allowance and then like the kind of top-ups for doing different yeah. jobs again, and then, and then the uh, deducting money from the amounts that you give to your children. You're just using slightly more simplified versions of things that are going to happen throughout their life anyway. And that in itself is an education of the things they can expect as they get older, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the way I position it to parents is that we often prioritise teaching them how to swim and teaching them ride a, ride a bike. They're life skills that we all go through as parents to teach our children. But money is the one thing that's probably not talked about often enough. And as you've just said, if you do it in the right way, you're actually preparing them with a vital life skill that yes. they need to succeed because otherwise they could end up with some stress, anxiety around these types of things or make bad decisions. So I think it's our responsibility as adults to teach this vital life skill because otherwise you're basically setting them up to fail. Agreed. Um, before, we, <laughs> <laughs> before we uh, get on to the rapid fire questions part of the chat, I wondered if we could conclude with um, like the older children. So yeah. uh, you're kind of 16 to 18 year olds, people who are nearing the end of school, mm. just starting university. Um, for me, I think this is another pivotal point in the child's life because this is like you go to uni and you get that two grand interest-free yeah. overdraft with the rail card or whatever. Yeah. And you, it's, it's kind of like the first time you're just left completely to your own devices. And I've seen, I'm sure, as I'm sure you have, of people who are effectively still paying off their student overdrafts yeah. in a different form or spent all of their money on like alcohol because you know, they, they were getting like a student loan or, or a grant or whatever. So what sorts of things do we do we bed in at that, that life stage? 
Um, there's there's one thing that I think is really important at this stage that is not talked about enough, and that's credit score. Okay. And and there are lots of adults out there in their forties that have never even looked at their credit score and just sort of winged their way through it. But actually, I think at this age, the sixteen to eighteen, it's a really important conversation because what they do now can directly impact their future wants and needs. So it's almost like, you know like educating them to say yes i know you want to go and have fun and enjoy yourself and you know make your lifelong friends but balancing that out with what you want from the future and it's your credit score that's going to be the thing that unlocks that so if you do start spending all of this credit that's available to you yet you don't have a job to be able to repay it right now then potentially you're going to cause yourself a problem because you know if, you know if you don't repay that it's going to be written off which will affect your credit score so it's helping them understand that yes we all have to probably borrow money at that stage in our life but being aware of what those repayments might look like when we get into into work are we educating ourselves to a job that will be able to pay to to make those repayments so that you're not just spending frivolously thinking it'll all just go away when you finish university because it doesn't does it um and and having that awareness of okay fair enough if i use that two thousand pounds this is what repayments look like for that amount of money and this is how long i'll be repaying that back over so that they're fully aware that it's not just the here and now it's how long it's going to take to repay those yeah, and you know the importance of your overall credit limit, your credit yeah. utilization, um, paying your debts off in full if yeah. you can, um, and that, that if you are in debt, that you can do things like consolidate it, balance transfer, all these things. Um, yeah. yeah, very very important to to impart at that early stage, just so they're they're equipped. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something that often gets forgotten about. To be honest. Um, but, but for me, I think it's one of the biggest the biggest conversations to have around that age because it you know they won't care about it then, but they will care about it when they're twenty nine and they want to buy their first house and they can't because they've not they've not been careful in their younger years so yeah and we've had a comment um from Eve saying, "I love that money management is a life skill this is uh, going back to said previously." Yeah. It should definitely be taught to children. Completely agree with you, Eve. Um, it's not all these things that we're talking about. Um, it's not necessarily that easy to do. Um, but uh, the general theme of this conversation is if you get started early and you just involve your children in the day to day, then yeah. you give them the best chance possible to be able to participate in society financially as an adult. Um, before we move on to the rapid fire questions, then, Laura, are there any bits that... Um, you think we may not have touched on in the discussion any other kind of nuggets of wisdom that you'd like to share yeah i was just thinking about um what that person's just said there about it being a life skill and something that people often ask me is do i think that this stuff needs to be taught in schools um and my my answer is no i believe that this is a life skill that this needs to be taught taught from within the home by demonstrating what we're doing it's important that us as adults have great money relationships and that we're displaying that to our children um, and that we can then hand down those habits and those behaviors to them directly because they'll learn from us we're their biggest role models 
and if it's taught in schools the risk is that a teacher could teach it because it's on the curriculum and they'll be given set guidelines but if there's a complicated question that comes from that first of all they might not be able to answer it but secondly they might have their own money issues and their own money blocks as well so if it is going to be taught in schools then bring an expert in to do it that's my personal opinion and then it needs to be taught as a life skill in line with those other things that we prioritise to educate our children on as we're bringing them up as a family unit, whether that's you as a parent or, an, or as an auntie or an uncle or even a grandparent. They're life skills that's our responsibility to hand down. Um, SL Money Lab has just said, I agree. I think it starts at home first and then can be consolidated in later education. Very, very interesting because you need only spend a little bit of time on social media and in the financial content creation space to see people who are completely on the other side of the debate. They think it mm -hmm. should definitely be part of the curriculum and that by the end of your school life, you should know about things like investing and pensions and mortgages and, and so yeah. on. Um, I mean, I do think it would, I do think there's a place for it in school as long as it's experts that are coming in to do it. I just don't agree with teachers teaching it. Yeah. It's an emotive uh, subject. It's a taboo subject. It's something that people are anxious about. Money is a subject that lots of people don't want to talk about. So why would a teacher be comfortable talking about it to their students? They, they wouldn't. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think there's also, there's also the point, if I continue along this line of reasoning, that there are other life skills which aren't taught in school, right? Like there's no lesson on like how to find a spouse you know, yeah. that's quite a big thing. And, oh, do, and do, do the life skills that are taught in school, they do like um, PHSE. I don't know if you remember that, but it was yeah. always the class that would be like, oh, this is my easy lesson of the day. I'm not really going to listen. I'm going to use this as an opportunity uh -huh. to mess around with my friends and enjoy myself a little bit. So, you know, if there is a place for it, that's where it's going to be. And for me, it's just going to get completely missed, misinterpreted, not taken seriously. So... Yeah. Very, very interesting. I think I think that might be the most interesting um, part of this uh, discussion. Like, where, like where the where the discussion, uh, where, where where the responsibility lies. Where the responsibility lies. That's it. Eve's actually um, just said maybe it should be taught by an external body brought in by the school. So yeah, Laura's just made that point that it should be an expert and doesn't necessarily have to be or or perhaps shouldn't be the teacher. Money for Monday said definitely shouldn't be taught in schools for the reasons mentioned. This is so. Interesting. I did not think Yay, that there would be that a whole load of people agreeing with me. <laughs> did not think that there would be that many people in support of this side of thing. I just assumed it was universally held that it should be taught in school. It was very, very no, interesting. If anyone if anyone is interested in exploring this side of things, then please reach out to me, DM me, because I'd love to get this talked about more and put together a program to get this kind of thing talked about in schools but from the experts so if there are experts out there that are interested then please reach out to me i'd love to put something together i, I just can't do every school in the country on my own yeah i also think it could be a great post idea laura like you know should it be taught in schools yeah. I, I don't think it should for this 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 and this reason what do you think yeah um cool um shall we move on to rapid fire questions Go for it. Awesome stuff. Um, so uh, what's your what's been your biggest financial achievement to date? Oh, 
my goodness, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> the biggest financial achievement probably was buying my home, if I'm honest. So I negotiated a killer of a of a of a purchase price. Um, I knocked them down by like thirty grand really easily and got loads of extra added on. And then my property has just gone massively up in value so it's like okay. over doubled in 10 years so i would say that's probably my best purchase that i've that i've made congratulations what what methods did you use to negotiate the 30k off oh i do drive a hard bargain i really do all right <laughs> i i chose particular property so it's a it was a new build development so there's a few properties that i could have bought so it was around you know why am I the right person to buy that property? I didn't have a chain or anything like that. I really played that to my advantage. Obviously, I worked at the bank, so I had my mortgage already. So I was yeah. really sort of positioning myself as the best person for them to sell the property to. And yeah, I, I worked hard to negotiate. I love negotiating. It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a superpower if you can leverage it. Because it's basically, if you can get, if you could get anyone in the world to say yes to anything you wanted, then you could, you know, you'd be unstoppable. Yeah. That's really cool. You're home. Um, next question. What one piece of money advice would you have given to yourself 10 years ago? 10 years ago, where was I? 28. Um, so I wish that I'd been a little bit more prepared for myself in the future. So at that stage, I'd not started having a family or anything like that. So um, I was enjoying life. I was going out and having holidays and spending quite a lot of money when I look back at it now on enjoying life, which I think is a is a good priority to have. But on reflection, I wish I'd um, perhaps invested a little bit more or tucked some more money away for the future. But I got to this point where, like I say, I'd bought my house. I had a good job. I didn't have any children. So I was in that that sort of phase of my life where I did want to go out and enjoy myself and I knew that I'd, I'd have a family um, or was hopeful to have a family so it, it, it at the time you think I may as well now whilst I can but on reflection I perhaps should have um, looked more longer term but I was too busy enjoying myself so <laughs> yeah um, I know that this is slightly deviating from the topic of the episode oh by the way Monday for Monday says same got 25k off the asking price of a new build the next time I'm going into negotiation, Savvy Peacocks and Money for Monday, you're coming yeah, with. Yeah, we'll come with you. I'm the same with cars, actually. I'm awesome at negotiating with cars. All right. I, I don't know how I do it. I pull on the heartstrings a little bit. I think that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really good at negotiating with cars, so I'm your lady. I think, I think that's fair enough because they're trying to sell the car to you for as much money as they possibly can. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're... you're well, you just said now about like the state of life you were in 10 years ago, me and uh, um, my fiance, we budget on a monthly basis and um, we've started, we're getting um, married uh, in three months time. Oh, congratulations. And thank you. And we uh, have, I think um, her mum might be watching this as well. So uh, sorry if this is a bit of a bombshell. It shouldn't be a bombshell. But like we, we plan, we're now planning two years in advance and, you know, starting a family is starting to creep into those plans. And um, we were just like, how much does a child cost? Like, how do you plan financially for that? So 
um, there's a few things you can do. So the figure on paper, just to scare you, is that a child costs around a hundred thousand pounds to raise from the moment until they're until they're eighteen, 18, yeah. 18 years. Okay. Um, but something you can think about in advance now is at some point your income may well reduce because one of you will want to spend some time with that child in those first few years, maybe change a working pattern or have some time off completely through maternity leave or paternity leave, that kind of thing. And then on top of that, you've got the fact that if you do want to go back to work, childcare costs are extremely expensive. Yeah, so yeah. if you can plan around those kind of things, you know, how, how would it feel now if one of us had half an income? And you could almost do that. You could, you could, you could put that money aside and be living like that for a few months and see how it feels. What are you gonna? What what lifestyle changes are you gonna have to make? At that <laughs> so point? funny. If you get to the end of that, you're like, you know what? That child thing. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, I can't live on half my salary. I don't want to. Yeah. Forget it. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's that's just the basics. That's without the fact that they actually cost money on top. So, you know, I, it, it can be a little bit of a reality shock. Having children is. You know, a lot of people don't think about the financial side. They get excited about wanting to get pregnant. And of course, when they're pregnant, they get caught up in that whole having a baby thing that yeah. they forget that the reality is they cost money and your income is probably going to reduce. Plus, your lifestyle is going to change. So, yeah, it can be quite a shock to the system. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, well, it's, a, it's a, another live topic all in of itself i've had a few more comments come in i think this uh, part of the conversation has really resonated with people so eve oh eve said i think a blog post on negotiation would be a great topic i agree good um, idea thanks i'll do that <laughs> daniel lou once you're married there's an additional tax burden called wife tax I hope you <laughs> um and then uh jen has come back and said i'm sure you're an expert in that particular tax dan's a good friend of mine uh, um went to his wedding um three years ago i think now so he's been paying that wife tax for a while yeah um, sl money lab says childcare is a mortgage it, it, it really is so if i tell you um i've got one child in childcare, like before school age and then i've got the other two in school but i do the wraparound that cost me around 1500 pounds a month okay but yeah. just kind of, you know, you've got to think very carefully in advance, you know. Yes, I want my children close together, but if I've got two in full-time childcare, that's around £1,800 a month. It's a lot of money. So how am I going to pay for that money if I'm reducing my hours or I'm not working at all, all those kind of things. It's, it's working those, those calculations out in advance so that you know, because a lot of people get caught up in the romance of, oh, our baby is now two years old, we should think about having another one. Yeah. Before you know it, you've got two in full-time childcare and you've got that big bill and it, it sort of often questions people. That's why people don't end up going back to work because mm -hmm. you know, you've got a question, how much money am I gonna earn by going back to work when I've got that big bill on top of actually paying for the child as well, you know, their own expenses, their own clothes, their food, all those kind of things. So and I'm Daniel, scaring you, sorry Timmy. <laughs> no, no, you're you're not scaring me at all. It's just it's just food for thought and just like I am just so such a believer of just learning from people who've done what you want to do yeah and um like just letting them do you know the 
the hard work, so to speak, and you just <laughs> em emulating what they've done. Um, so no, like it's, it's all super useful. And that point about living on half of your salary as a test is not something that I'd thought about, of course. But of course, that's that's one of the scenarios you could find yeah. yourself in. Uh, Daniel Liu uh, commented again, uh, JK, she's great. Okay, so I think he's realized his wife might watch this live oh. or listen back to the podcast and uh, covering his tracks. Um, cool. The next question is, if you were to win the lottery, let's say you were to win £10 million, how would you spend it? I'm glad you've said 10 million because I always say I don't want to win just a million. One million's not enough. I need at least yeah. five or 10. <laughs> yeah. um, so I would make, obviously, I think the first thing we'd all do is make sure all our, our family and our close friends are sorted and looked after. Um, and then I'd invest the rest just to create a, an ongoing income for me so that I have the choice to be work optional. Um, and I probably wouldn't necessarily move or anything like that. I'd pay off my mortgage, um, maybe buy a holiday home abroad, buy some rental properties, um, and then invest the rest to create an income. All a bit boring, I'm afraid. But all very sensible. Um, oh, and a Chanel handbag. I'd buy a Chanel handbag. A Chanel handbag. Very nice. Um, yeah, you, you always have that guilty uh, pleasures type uh, purchase. Yeah. I'm not sure what mine would be. But um, no, like investing it is spot on because you need only do a little bit of Googling on winners of the national lottery in the UK yeah. to see just how quickly millions of pounds can slip through your fingers. Like a couple gifts here, a couple um, kind of failed investments there and it can all be yeah. gone within a matter of it, a few years. It's actually been reality for me. So at the High Street Bank that I worked at going back 10 years, I looked after the lottery winners. So I used to go and meet them to collect their cheque and sort of create secret bank accounts for them so that they could have their money tucked away. And so I've always played the lottery for that reason because it became like a reality for me. Anyone can win the lottery. You've got to be in it to win it, that kind of thing. Um, and it was, as you say, so many different experiences of people doing different things with that money, particularly when they've not had any money is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and and like you say, before you know it, it's gone. So you do have to be quite wise with it, I think. Absolutely. Um, what are your long-term money goals? Long-term money goals are, well, okay, so this is something that's a bit off the wall, but I want to buy an island. Okay, I've, go on. I've always wanted to buy an island. So enough, remote enough to sort of enjoy being by the water and being on my own and being with my own thoughts, perhaps still running the business. I'm not bothered about that side of things, but um, enough so I can go to the main island and get what I need, see, see other people, be able to have my, my family and friends come to visit me, but just my own sort of private haven really of being shut, shut away from life a little bit if I want to, but still have the option. So I've actually got an island fund that I'm working towards. <laughs> oh, what are we calling it? Peacock Peninsula? I don't know. I need to think of a name for it. I don't know if you get to, do you get to name the island if you buy it? It depends think, if you've got one, I suppose. I think Richard Branson got to name his. Did he? I wonder how he came up with that name then, Necker Island. Because that's not anything to do with him or his brand, is it? So I don't know. I'm not sure what I'd call it. I haven't thought that far. All I'm thinking about is what can I put into the island fund? <laughs> How long is it going to take me to get there? That's really cool. That's a Mr. Money Jar show first, buying an island. But I like it. 
yeah yeah it's, it's it's something that i talk about quite a lot actually i've i've even posted about it i think it's just one of my things something i've always wanted to do i need I, i'm at my happiest when i'm by the sea uh, i think you and uh, you and jenny would massively get on then she's been trying to get me to go to well not get me to go because i do want to go but she's been suggesting a trip to the maldives for the longest time for that very reason yeah yeah, there's something just about, it's not just about being by the sea, it's actually being on the sea, like sleeping and hearing mm. the sea and, and being able to wake up and see it. Um, actually, last summer, me and my partner, we went and slept on the beach overnight just so I could wake up and see the sea and just be there. We slept in a tent. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, wicked. Yeah, it was really cool. We're definitely going to do that again this summer. Really cool. And what country was that in? In England. I that. In England? Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. It is. Um, the final uh, question is, what does success mean to you? Success means to me when you're at your happiest. If you're happy, then you're successful, in my opinion. I don't think there's any particular price tag on it or any sort of, you know, they talk about these six-figure businesses, seven-figure businesses. I think that's a load of baloney. If you're happy, then you're successful, in my opinion. If yeah. you're loving what you're doing, if you're seeing joy every day, if you want to wake up in the morning, you want to do the do what you're doing, then you're successful. Here, here, literally in complete alignment and agreement with that. Um, before we wrap up today's conversation, uh, anyone you want to shout out or anything you want to plug? Oh, bless you. That's very kind. Well, a few things, actually. So a few people that have joined today have heard me on Clubhouse. I think there was um, Justice said about nice to see the face. So on Clubhouse, I run a daily room in Clubhouse called Savvy Women, which is 8.30 every single weekday morning. So I'd love to give a plug for that because it's not just... We, we do sometimes talk about money, but it's around overall savviness and being in business and how you can be the best person you could possibly be. So that's an awesome place that you can find me. The second place you can find me is my own podcast, which is Money Savvy Parents. Um, that's a weekly podcast that comes out. It's just a 10 minute weekly episode where you can just take the information and implement things in your day to day life all around money and educating children and your own money as well. So, yeah, Money Savvy Parents. Awesome. So to the people listening back to this show when it goes up as a podcast, make sure yeah. that you, your next podcast episode is the Money Savvy Parents podcast with Laura. That's it. Very good. Laura, I've really enjoyed today's conversation. I've learned a lot. Um, there are things that I'm going to take away. I'm actually going to implement both on the how to talk to kids side, but also on the family planning side. I know that wasn't the subject of today's uh, <laughs> Uh, conversation but um, no it's been great to chat to you and uh, thank you very much for sharing your your time and your your expertise with us um, thank, you. thank you also to everyone at home for tuning in and uh, we will be back next week monday at the same time with another special guest do take right. care thanks bye bye, -bye.